Joe Orth and I are starting a podcast. What should we call it? Hey, don't pick on me. You know why? Because this is why. Well, let's see what he says. The Joe Show. <laughs> Give Joe the business. That's right. Cup of Joe. Cup of Joe. What is happening here? Would you listen? We'll give you a chance. Thank you. Uh... That's Joe. That's Rooster. And this is the Together We Shall podcast, episode 30. <laughs> For all of you that are uh, not watching the YouTube version, Joe finally got himself a director's thing. What's it called? Like a cut, like action clip thing? <laughs> cut, cut board? Cut is that what it's called? Okay, yeah, yeah, because they do it, they're like action, cut. and then when they're cut. cut. I Cut board. We'll uh, have to ask. Uh, we'll have to ask our episode twenty nine guest um, for all of you. <laughs> as soon as we hung up with him, I ordered it. All right. Yeah. Scene. Susan. Take one. Roll. Digital. It's got a date. Joe Rooster. Oh, I'm the director. What are you? You're the production coordinator. <laughs> I, I feel like director. Like I needed like editor more than anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the sound is beats. What a plug. That's cool. And the cameraman is teams. That's neat. Anyway, we'll have to get a nice picture of that for our Ainsley's Angels. I'm sorry for our Together We Shall podcast Instagram so that people can see that nifty cut board. What's happening, man? How you doing? Oh, man, I'm um, L-I-V-I-N, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> they keep getting, I keep getting older. Yeah, yeah. yeah we could probably skip that one. <laughs> Very well. Days and Confused, you know that was filmed like the, it was filmed in a setting that was 1976, which is the year I was born. So it was kind of really cool for me to see what they say high school was like back in the day. I feel like that was to an extent like me in high school, like that, like the group of friends, we didn't like party in the woods we just went to the beach days and confused just give it a chance it's a pretty cool flick it'll make you laugh but i went to visit Lori's brother in austin texas a couple years ago and i went for a bike ride with him and we're going around and he pointed out one of those moon towers and i was like whoa no way you mean like that's a moon tower it's such a cool concept uh, mm-hmm. moon towers are featured in days and confused so i was like is that the moon tower from days and confused <laughs> no <laughs> anyway a lot of things happening i i really enjoyed last episode but like it dawned on me as we were getting ready to execute this morning episode 30 dude like 30 it's a lot it's a lot of chatting it's 30 hours of us bantering it, hmm. it yeah it is and like our uh you know production if you would you know uh recording releasing like to me feels like a, a good rhythm and then like some podcasts i listen to are like one a week and these are like professionals too right so it's like that's not bad but then i think of like the people that are every day like monday through friday like that i'm like like when you're done working, do you just like become like a monk or something and not speak? Like I wouldn't want to talk anymore. I don't know how that like I couldn't do that for hours on end. There there are personalities that can just talk. In fact, you know some of those people. So yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure they're just playing to their strengths. Um Tales of the Course. We 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 actually went through uh, four. This is our fourth episode of Tales of the Course. Of course, Craig out there in Wichita continues to solicit stories. And so if you have a story that you'd like to have featured here on the podcast, uh, get in touch with Craig. Wichita at AinsleysAngels.org. But I'm going to read this one. Um, I do want to say he's making them a little shorter now. And I talked to him yesterday, and he's trying to match my cadence with his writing. <laughs> so let's see how he does here. Let's jump in. Tales of the Course. Episode four. First time Angel Runner Dalton of Wichita, Kansas, demonstrated what, what is so incredible about our angel athlete runners. He embodied our mission for his actions at the Ugly Sweater 5K last December in Wichita. His teammate, Amaya, clearly demonstrated through her actions and communication skills that she did not want to continue to race after the first quarter mile. As a result, Dalton stopped and displayed empathy and kindness to her while waiting for assistance to arrive. On race day, we have two primary missions. Everybody races and finishes safely, and 
our angel athlete riders have a blast. They enjoy themselves. And if either of those two things aren't happening, we adjust to ensure that folks can have fun and still be included, even if they're not running. It's not all about the run. It's not all about the race sometimes. Thanks to Dalton's calm and loving demeanor and his focus and priority on his teammate, Angel Rider Amaya, they were both able to fulfill both of those experiences and feelings. The story doesn't really end there. As I conclude, after the race, Dalton said, I had a great time and I loved every bit of the experience. And the moment where Amaya communicated with me is something I'll never forget in my running career, frankly, in my life. And Amaya's mom says, thank you to Dalton for handling this situation so well. And that Amaya looks forward to seeing you again at the next race. It just goes to show that it's not about finish lines all the time. And sometimes what happens in the interim between the start and the finish is really what makes that experience so much more special. So kudos to Dalton and Joe, I'll add Dalton is a young person uh, under 21 years old. So there's some, some goodness there for America. I have a lot to say to this one. Some of which is uh, funny uh, and some of which is, is serious so you got Kansas and Dalton. My mind right away went where? To sports or football or flyover states, something like that. Oh, is it, is it Wizard, Wizard of Oz? Oh, oh. Patrick Swayze, Dalton. Yeah, that's good. And then the best plan on race day is to not have a plan because something like that's going to happen. And you got to just pivot, you know, react, head on a swivel type of thing and and do what's best for, in this case, Amaya, and I mean, I've been there, I think, once or twice, once with you in Ragnar, Tennessee, right? Got, we had to get riders off the course. Um, that was for health and safety. And it takes some courage for Amaya to either verbalize or vocalize that, like, hey, not not feeling it today. We have good days and bad days uh, as runners. And definitely, as you know, riders have good days and bad days. So um, I hope they were able to, like, come back together at at the finish line and, you know, have a have a smile and a Gatorade or something and try again next time. So that's yeah, exactly. Of- yeah, you're exactly right. And that's why I really wanted to highlight this story is because it really does speak to that. I mean, I remember times with Ainsley where we did where I did get overly competitive. And I actually remember one time where someone wanted to run with Ainsley and I. And I actually talked to Lori about it and was like, you know, I don't know if I want them to run with us because we really have a goal to set this this particular time. And she looked at me and Lori did, and she was like, really? Since when you're chasing times, is that what, is that what this is about? Like goals and times and speed and competition. And and it hit me really good, really in the face there. I was like, God, it's human nature to want to just, you know, get better and get better and drive and compete, but losing sight of the priority uh, can happen to any of us. And so bravo Dalton on your uh, attention to the matter and, and your, and your empathy. So Thanks for sharing that one with us, Craig. I want to get into this episode here. Let's have some fun. Uh, Without further ado, I'm going to ask Susan to come off of uh, mute and welcome her. Without further ado, Susan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Coming to you from sunny Wilmington today. Ah, sunny Wilmington, North Carolina, not too far away from where Joe is. Actually, uh, I don't know how far away y'all are, but like, why are you a guest on episode 30 of the Together We Shall podcast? Well, probably partly because I am the mother of an athlete rider, Hunter. I am an angel runner, slow one, but still an angel runner. And I am the ambassador currently for the Southeast North Carolina ambassadorship. Those would definitely be a few of the reasons that we were attracted to bring Mm -hmm. you on. (laughs) But I think there's some great things about your life journey that are going to provide some perspective uh, to our audience um, episode 30, as we look back on all the episodes, every one of them has something that stands out and some type of theme to them. And I recently learned that you have listened to every single episode, which Joe and I are grateful for that. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. I've enjoyed them. I'd be curious to know how many people have listened to all at this point, 29. I think the number's under 24, but I, yeah. I could be, I could be wrong. Yeah. I was going to say a dozen or so, but I don't think that's even necessarily a bad thing. 
I mean, you you listen you listen to ones that you can connect to. And if there's, you know, a reason not to. I mean, imagine someone that would listen to every Joe Rogan episode. Jesus. Yeah, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of time. Susan, what what has attracted you to listen to all 30? I mean, that do you look forward to when they get released? Do you get upset if we skip too many weeks? Like what what's the drive? I actually mostly enjoy getting to know more about people, most of whom I already know. There's been a few that I didn't know personally, but, um, you know, listening to the first episode with the two of you, I learned a lot about each of you, you know, learning more about my friends, Lori, Christy, the moms, the mom aspect gets me every time. So I've really enjoyed those. Amanda, I've heard podcasts with her before, yet I still learn new things about her in that episode. So I think that's what I like the most about them. You pointed out a couple of our guests and some of the themes. When I say Together We Shall podcast, what's the first thing that kind of comes to your mind? Um, family. Wow. Yeah. Well, mission accomplished, Joe. Family. That works for me. <laughs> Is there an episode that stands out after you were done listening, you walked away thinking about it the rest of the day, perhaps? The first episode Lori was on where you featured her and your story with her and and Ainsley's story. I think that one was very profound. I still remember where I was when I was listening to it. So they say if you remember where you were when the Twin Towers fell on 9-11, you know, that's the type of thing that you remember where you were. You know, our grandfathers, mm-hmm. grandmothers remember where they were on Pearl Harbor. So you remember where you were when you listened to the Together We Shout podcast episode yeah. three with Lori. Wow. She'll be happy to hear that. Touching. Um, I think we should jump into the story that you have to tell pieces to your story that I have not explored with you. So if you'll have it, um, I'd like to dance. Will you dance okay. with us? Sure. <laughs> Take, like a two-step or what? what, what, what Salsa. What? Salsa. It's got to be a spicy. Uh, I, I have danced before with your daughter, Hunter. We danced yes, in, in Dominican Republic of all yes. places uh, about a year ago this mm-hmm. coming up coming up week so can you take us back like where did it all start well i was actually most people don't know that because of my accent but i was born in south florida um, my father was in the produce business and we spent half of every year in florida half of every year in north carolina till i was about 11 when we moved up here full time um, and because my mother wanted a little more stability in florida was where we lived was not totally great for a young kid coming up so she moved us up here and um, went to carolina for eight years got my undergraduate degree uh, took a year piddling and with some classwork trying to figure out what i wanted to do and ended up going to law school and graduated from unc law so, how about that joe we got a we got a jd lawyer on our hands here but this goes back to what's funny is not funny i knew um about the eight years but for some reason, I had in my mind uh, that it was NC State. So, yeah, I know. I was like, oh, man, I messed up. I feel like I've told <laughs> someone that, too. Oh, man. Oh, I right. almost went to state for undergrad, if that makes you feel better. Okay. I, I, it does a little bit. but Because they had a much better science program at state. But in the end, I just couldn't couldn't quite do that. Like many states out there, the rivalry between the University of and the, you know, the other mm-hmm. the other school or the state college is pretty intense. So I'm glad we clarified that early. I am curious. You mentioned produce and we mm-hmm. always talk about food on the Together We Shall. We always cover down on food. What kind of produce? Well, my father started out as a truck broker and then transitioned into being a produce broker. So we would take produce that the farmers of the area grew and we would sell them to either a store or another middleman who then in turn sold it to somebody, a restaurant or whatever. So we had that family business and I actually practiced law from 1992 when I graduated until 2003 full time when I then went into the family business and started working with my father. That's cool. Like, but you didn't answer the question, uh, counselor, what kind of produce? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cucumbers, peppers, cabbage, eggplant, squash, that sort of thing. I like all those things for the most part. And so you practiced law. Where, what did you do? What kind of law? Law is a lot of things. What kind of law did you practice until 2003? I think you said. Yeah. Well, I lived in a little tiny county 
in a little practiced in a little tiny town, you can't exactly specialize under those circumstances. So I did a little bit of everything. I did not do criminal. I did tell my boss that that was just not something I was interested in doing. And I know everybody's entitled to fair representation and all that, but it's not, they're not, not cause my father used to say that, well, they're entitled to fair representation. Yes. Just not by me. So nice, I'm not, nice. I'm not going to do that, but I did real estate, wills and estates, domestic law, some personal injuries some medical malpractice, that sort of thing. So. So one of the movies that motivated me to join the Marine Corps was A Few Good Men. And I'll never forget the moment where Tom Cruise's character said, oh, so this is what the inside of a courtroom looks like. Did you ever have a moment like that? <laughs> I did. I was, again, I had to, I did not like doing courtroom work. That's not my natural personality, but I didn't have a whole lot of choice given where I lived. Um, so we did do that, but they were small courtrooms and, you know, I mean, big, big cases for the people who were going through them. Um, I did have one case that did end up going up to the Court of Appeals and I had to go up and argue it in front of the Court of Appeals. So that was a bit nerve wracking for me. But um, and we won. So that was cool. But um, I tried to stay out of the courtroom if I could. You're in the courtroom is probably not not a good thing. Mm -hmm. True. I have two questions about the, the Florida Carolina thing. How did that work out like with school? Um, <laughs> unless you were homeschooled, I guess. So I'm old enough that homeschooling wasn't much of a thing. So I'd start the school year here in North Carolina um, from the time I was, I guess, in second grade on and would spend a month or two here. And then we'd pick up and we'd go down to Florida and I'd go to school there. And then in like April, we'd pack up, we'd move back up here and I'd finish the school year out here. So. It's mind blowing to me. That is so. It, really is. it was not easy, particularly as a shy, very reserved kid. Um, it was it was tough for me, but I had friends in both places. So, you know, after a while, it was not so bad, but it was still, you know. Would you like tell the, the Carolina school friends like see in see in four months, I'll be back for graduation, basically. I'm just gonna... Yeah. The Luckily, we, we basically moved up here right when I went to junior high. So the, the more formative years, I was in one place, which made it a lot better. I, it would have been a lot harder as a middle and high schooler to have done that. It must have worked because you went on to become a lawyer, which some say requires you to have some type of education beforehand. Is that true? Yeah. Do you need do you need to be educated before you can? <laughs> Well, it, funny enough, people were very surprised that I did well in law school because that you people you think you need a political science or an English or history background to go and do a good job in law school. I did not have those backgrounds. I was a physics major. So but I felt like that actually helped me because it taught me analytical thinking. And therefore, when I sat down to write a paper, I'm lucky enough that I'm a halfway decent writer. And I could think my way through the problem and work my way from point A to point G instead of trying to jump over them, which is something that a lot of my schoolmates had trouble with. So. Well, you're, you're speaking our jam now. When you, said, <laughs> you said analytical thinker and Joe's face lit up like, oh, that's why I enjoy spending time with Susan. It's not because we both like the same brewing holes in Wilmington, North Carolina. But that helps. Speaking. Speaking of which, um, before we get any further in our game, ladies and gentlemen, it's Miller time, that special part of the episode where you're in luck because you can grab your favorite beverage, whether it's Miller Light or, I don't know, Joe, what are you drinking today? I don't know what brand K-Cup, but it's it's coffee, uh, so that brand is not a sponsor. Um, but I am drinking it out of a, a Yeti, uh, who's also not a sponsor. Yet. Yet. Okay, that's cool. Susan, what'd you bring to the show? Because you know it's Miller time. You've listened to all 29 previous episodes. You know we do this. What do you got? I do. I have some iced coffee, homemade Starbucks that I have for today. We're big iced coffee drinkers in this house because Hunter loves iced coffee. So we all, she has an iced coffee maker and we borrow it from time to time. So y'all enjoy that. I'm going to I'm gonna do the water thing for now, but I might grab something that's distributed by Coke, known as Monster, at some point. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise, surprise. All right, cool. So practicing law, 2003, family business, uh, working through that piece. At some point, you had to have met Nick, your husband. How did all that happen? Nick and I met on a blind date during at the beginning of my last year of law school. So we had his best friend's wife was working for my parents and she set us up on a date while I was home for the summer. And uh, we met 
to go see the movie Backdraft, believe it or not. We still remember that and uh, talked through the whole movie. So we don't remember much about the movie, but we remember what we went to see. We got married a little over a year later. So that was all in the 90s then. If my mm-hmm. time I met right. him in 91, got married August of 92. And here we are 31 years later. And and y'all are y'all have traveled quite the journey. Nick is a retired Air Force man, but of course Correct. when you met him, was he was he an airman when you met him? He was active duty. I forget which rank. He was whatever's below staff sergeant, because I think he made staff after we got married or right around the time we got married. He had just come back from the Gulf War when we met, like literally wow. about a month prior to the time we met. Yeah, that's perspective. The Gulf War, 1990-91, went over to Kuwait or the region. What's the timeline between marriage and having twins? And get us into that story. Married in 92, had the girls, it was supposed to be February of 97. They were a little impatient and they came in November of 96. That's, you say impatient, I'm doing some math there. That is 27 weeks, 27 weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, We spent 10 weeks in the, they actually had to transport me because like, we went to the hospital at first. They didn't think I was in labor. Then they bring in some incubators. I'm like, what are those? If I'm not in labor, why are those in this room? And they're like, well, we're going to have some babies and we've got an ambulance coming because we're really not prepared to do it here. Because again, little tiny Duplin County was not equipped to handle babies coming at 27 weeks gestation. So they sent two ambulances from New Hanover one for me and one for them if I had them on the side of the road. And um, we hauled down to Wilmington and got me in just in time to have an emergency C-section because they were coming one way or the other. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, again, did not know that's how that went down. Um, okay. While Rooster tries to gain his bearings. Were you guys in Faison? I grew Faison. up in Faison. That's Faison. where I've been ever since we moved to North Carolina. Well, um, we actually were in Keenansville at the hospital. That's where the hospital was. So we had to come from okay. there. And I remember they sent a little intern to to accompany me. So I had a doctor figure on the ambulance just in case. And I remember he was telling me about his wife and that she was the daughter of a judge or something. He was trying to keep my mind off of what was going on. And then he said something about, well, there's another ambulance coming with incubators and NICU nurses in the event you have these babies here, they'll be fine. And I looked, I I still remember looking dead at him and saying, if it's all the same to you, I'd rather not have my babies here. So if you'll up those meds and tell the driver to step on it, let's get to Wilmington. (laughs) Are those really the words you use, Susan? Exactly. No, yeah. that's exactly okay. what I said to him. So, I can also tell you the first words I said, Joe will appreciate, and you will, when I woke up after having the bait, because they put me under for that. It was not local. Uh, it was the day of the Carolina NC State football game. We had tickets. Obviously, I didn't make it. I looked at the nurse, and I didn't I didn't say, how are my babies? What Because I didn't really understand. I was young. I was a first-time parent. I didn't understand what, exactly what was going on. I looked at the nurse. I was like, do you know the score of the game? And she looked at me like I had lost my mind. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. I do appreciate that. That is awesome. That's the, that, yeah. we were talking about the rivalry earlier. Yeah, that rivalry mm-hmm. is legit. Wow, that's funny. So Who won we, that game? Joe. I honestly don't remember that. <laughs> well, Joe Googles Research. that. Research. Because, <laughs> because it would have been in uh, November, November of 97. 97 Six, NC State. 96. 96. Yeah. Uh, November 2nd Google. of 96. That'll help. Even more. What, uh, so when did you come to the realization of the severity of what had transpired? Well, I became aware because my husband and my mother were both trying to downplay. The girls were fine. Everything's good. Until the NICU doctor walked in and basically told me that it was quite likely that my daughters would not survive. So I needed to prepare myself. And that was like a gut punch because I here I am thinking everything's actually going okay. And because again, I didn't know, never done this before. Um, so that was that was quite a shock. Um, Connor was actually the sicker of the two babies for the first week or ten days or so. Um, she had to have open heart surgery when she was six days old to ligate the artery that had not, or a blood vessel. I don't know the, remember the correct term that had not closed between the chambers of her heart. She was on the ventilator. Um, Hunter was not. 
So she was actually the sicker of the two, and it was longer before I could hold her than before I could hold. And she had a, she ended up with a brain bleed also. So she actually was the sickest child at first. You're making emphasis to point that out to us because mm-hmm. today Hunter uses a wheelchair and other things to mm-hmm. navigate her life, whereas mm-hmm. Connor is a college graduate. So Correct. interesting. I never knew that either. Where did the switch happen in the journey? Well, they were in the hospital for 10 weeks in the NICU and the grower nursery and all that, but they, we were at New Hanover for 10 weeks. Um, somewhere about two and a half weeks in, Hunter developed a respiratory infection. They were about a month old on my birthday and we had gone to see them because we were commuting back and forth for that. And my mother and I had gone to see them. And then I got a phone call the next day. I don't know why it took him that long to, to call me, but saying basically after we left the hospital that day, Hunter had coded. So they had to revive her. Um, and that was kind of the turning point. She ended up staying on a respirator for a long time after that. Well, I say staying on it. They tried to keep her on it. She would yank everything out every opportunity that she got because she started out stubborn and she's still stubborn. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So they came home at 10 weeks and um, still part of what's Hunter's situation now is when they were just shy of a year old, Hunter started having what we now know to be infantile spasms. So it was August of 1997. She started having a form of seizure called infantile spasms. And it took a month. I'm still not really sure why it took that long to get us referred everywhere we need to go and get the diagnoses and get the MRI and all that. After we got the MRI and went back to see the neurologist, he said every one of these she has had has damaged her brain and she will never be in a regular classroom. So I'm thinking, why did it take you a month to get me some medicine? Because literally, as soon as they put her on the medicine, the seizure stopped. So not really sure there with all that. I mean, I know medicine does not move quickly, as anybody who's ever been in the system knows. So but that is also part of her situation. And at that point, Connor had started to develop typically at this mm-hmm. point. And okay. that is correct. So short of the infantile spasms for Hunter, both of them were somewhat progressing typically at around 10 to 12 months ish no 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 hunter was not hunter was diagnosed they don't typically give the diagnosis officially until two years old but hunter was diagnosed very early on with cerebral palsy that was probably related to the incident in the hospital where she had the respiratory issues her she at some point had some sort of brain damage when that happened I'm going to take us somewhere here, and if this is inappropriate, stop me. But, like, you are now navigating a journey where you have your twin girls. One is presenting and proceeding typically, and one of them is a diagnosis of cerebral palsy and eventually has these infantile spasms and all of these things. How do you do that? As a mother, you love both your daughters. But did you ever go through anything when it comes to the idea of – I have one daughter who requires all of this assistance and 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 things and one daughter who is proceeding typically like did did you did you ever go through anything regarding life and perspective on that so, I don't know if that makes sense but no I'm very good at compartmentalizing um I did have a moment when we first came home I first came home from the hospital I don't believe the girls were there um, where I had about a two hour breakdown and cried a lot. And my husband didn't know what to do with me because he'd never seen me do that before. Um, so he called the preacher to come over and deal with me. <laughs> that sounds um, like, that sounds like Tanya's episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> episode 24, Tanya was pregnant at 15 years old. And the, what do you call the preacher? Call the yeah, preacher. <laughs> exactly. So, but no, I mean, I've just always been the person and it is what it is and you deal with what you've got because there's no other option I don't like to wallow in my feelings if that I don't mean to mean to make that sound bad because there are people that like to feel all the feelings I'm not that person I don't do that um I no surprise Spock was my favorite character in Star Trek right I mean just logic and analytical thinking and you do what you got to do to get it done um both my girls are different I love them both differently I mean, but everybody does that. I, I, I mean, I only know my situation, but you have two children. You love each of them equally, but differently. And it's no different for me. 
So, and I've just done what I've had to do to do the best for Hunter that we could and made sure Connor knew that she wasn't second fiddle and she was just as important to us. There's so many other places that I think that we could go and deep dive and kind of explore some space. To me, the idea of having twins or triplets and when they come into the space, into the world, they are, they may look similar if they are those types of twins or triplets, but they are completely different in terms of how they live their lives. And that is something that like, if you just go off appearances, sometimes you can just draw these conclusions that there's, oh, there must be like using the same brain, the same person. Did you have any thoughts like that as you were coming into to raising these two people that came to you at the same time? I never knew any different. So I always say God knew I wanted two kids and he knew I wouldn't do pregnancy after the first time I was I one done because it was not it, it was not a pleasant six months. Let's put it that way. Um, so I've never known any different. This is my reality and I, I work in my reality. My girls could not be more different from one another. I mean, they're fraternal twins and they are totally different personalities too. Hunter's very stubborn and wound up and Connor's very laid back. Um, they were extremely close as littles. I've been scanning pictures lately since we moved because I'm trying to downsize everything. And so I've been scanning pictures for the last year and found so many pictures from where they were, you know, five, six, seven, eight, and they were together and doing things. And they obviously, as the age gap and the ability gap grew, that didn't happen as much anymore. Um, but they still, I mean, Hunter loves Connor. There's still a twin connection there because every time Hunter can have some behaviors and every time it, Hunter ramps up, it affects Connor. I'll turn around and I'll see Connor, you know, looking like she's about to get upset. And I'm like, walk away. You need distance because, you know, you're communicating. However it is those twins communicate, they're doing it. So, um, but they're, they're still very connected, the two of them. Yeah, that's that is interesting that that perspective of no no matter what that twin communication thing mm -hmm. it's it's legit it's legitimate. It is. Yeah, I, just wild. a funny story. Um, Connor was after Hunter got sick in the hospital. Connor was doing much better and was on track to come home. And every time they she got to the point where they're going to move her out of the NICU into the grower nursery, which is kind of like a step up before you come home, she'd relapse. Every single time they started talking about it, it's almost like she understood what was going on and she was not leaving her sister. They ended up moving to the grower nursery on the same day. They ended wow. up coming home on the same day. And that is so rare. I have friends that have twins that were hospitalized and that is extremely rare. I can't imagine having one at home and one 90, 80 miles away or however far it is from facing to here. Um, I didn't have to do that. They stayed together. And that was Connor every time. Every mm. time she was not leaving her sister. I love that. And at some point along the way, uh, you saw this story about a man named Dick Hoyt and his son, Rick. And Rick had, you know, cerebral palsy, among other things that resonated with you. And then and then what happened? So I did not start running until I was almost 41. Um, I had been recruited to organize a local 5K for our little bitty towns festival. And I still, to this day, don't know why they asked me to do it, because I was not a runner, not athletic, but um, would see everybody out there running and having a great time. And I thought, I need to try that. And our very first race, there was a father-son duo that had what I now know to be a freedom chair. And he pushed him. He, he contacted me and said, I like to push my son in races. Can I bring him to yours? And I'm like, please do. And I knew about Rick and Dick. And when I started running, I thought... How awesome would it be to take Hunter with me? So we ultimately, I think for Christmas, her junior year of high school, we got her a running chair and she and I started participating in a couple of local races. So, and this is all before you really knew that Ainsley's Angels was a thing. I knew there was somebody coming to our area because I had been at Shamrock and had run the Shamrock half like a year or two prior before I found out that Ainsley's Angels was in Jacksonville. And I had been, I had met somebody from Team Hoyt who had told me that supposedly 
there was going to be a group starting in eastern North Carolina. They weren't sure where. So for about a year, two years, I was constantly searching, trying to see, you know, who it was, where it was, et cetera, um, and did not find out about it until a very good friend of mine whose children also spent a quite a long time in the NICU at New Hanover um, a year ahead of us. They were our success story that we got told about while we were in, because they were also from Duplin County. Um, and she calls me and says, you've got to do this because, you know, my son Dustin is is starting to roll with this group in Jacksonville and they're going to be bringing it to Duplin County. You've got to do this with us. And that was the beginning. I love the connection there and how it kind of happened because it speaks to how we execute even today. Get out there in the community, show the realm of possible, and then just extend invitations and say, come on, let's do it. Let's let's enjoy this. Um, of course, as time has transpired, uh, you have went on to go from I'm not a runner to I'm a marathoner. And, I, and I've pushed my daughter at the Marine Corps Marathon. For those of you that aren't familiar with the Marine Corps Marathon, uh, I think Joe, Joe, can you tell us something about that? Yes, the Marine Corps Marathon happening October 29th, uh, 2023. If you want to run, roll, contact me, Joe, at AingsleysAngels.org. And we can add you to the team and get you going and have some fun. Susan, what is your memory from the Marine Corps Marathon that stands out without overthinking it? Ready, go. Um, the fact that I never understood why people would say they would cry at the end of a race um, or get so emotional at the end of a race. And I, I didn't think I could push Hunter for a full marathon until a certain somebody wearing pink in this video talked mm -hmm. me into it. And um, there was a bad point around miles 15 to 18 that I began to question whether we were going to finish together because those hills were tough with her and um i hit mile 25 and it started i realized you know what we're going to finish this together and i teared up and i'm going to tear up again um that was emotional for me and that's what stands out and seeing her get her medal from the marines being saluted being honored by them that was that was something i also had the privilege this past october of running the race with connor for her first live in-person marathon and getting to see her run up that hill even though she was really questioning her life choices at that point um was was something because i'll tell you that's the first time i've ever run that hill i've always walked it and she and i ran it last year so i don't I, this is this doesn't matter like it doesn't matter but i'm gonna say i think you are the only mom in america who has pushed her daughter for 26.2 miles, and then a few years later ran with her daughter's twin sister for 26.2 miles. There's something, there's some there there. To me, that's just cool. Congratulations. I'm honored to know you. Mm -hmm. I'm and honored to be able those, to do it. That's one of those things going back to like uh, the loving your daughters the same but differently. Those two experiences pushing a uh, hunter was a completely different experience than it was running with with Connor. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's the people's marathon and you got to do it with two of the most important people in your life. And that's uh, whatever you said, there's something there, there, a lot of theirs. I don't know which one it is. Cause I'm not good at grammar, but yeah, that's, that's pretty damn neat. Uh, and I agree with Rooster. Now, one of the best experiences of my life is getting to run with both of them because we run together as a team now, the three of us. Um, and we have done many, many races together and got to celebrate their 21st birthday down in Savannah at Rock and Roll with some special recognition that you helped them get. Um, that was really one of the coolest experiences ever there so shout out to our friend dan cruz who was the uh, key connector there at rock and roll that made that happen it was that weekend um they turned 21 on like thursday and the race was on saturday so we had connor had decided hey wouldn't it be cool if the three of us could do that together so i got up with joe and i'm like can you get us in this race because there was no georgia ambassadorship down there at that point and Joe hooked us up and you hooked us up and we had an absolutely fabulous time, got VIP tickets at the end to enjoy the food and the music. And I don't think they could have asked for a better 21st birthday party. They presented them with, we went to the press conference, they presented them with a cake 
for their 21st birthday. And that was actually, I believe, on their 21st birthday. So it was it was an amazing experience. I remember Connor at the press conference, she had the microphone in front of her. I want to put that on the Together We Shall Instagram page when we launched this episode. So that was cool. Really cool. <clears throat> of course, you go to this this race. Uh, you try this Ainsley's Angels thing out. Do you remember your very first Ainsley's Angels race that you did at, at the satellite? And what stands out from that experience? I do. There was a race. I believe it was for the Harold's Christian Academy um, at River Landing, which was the, the place. It was nice enough that we had done the, our other races in that same area. So we, we knew the course and everything. But um, we met Michelle and Kelly and a whole bunch of people from Eastern turned out for that race because there's, you know, there's not a lot of races in Duplin County and there weren't too many runners. They used to, I, I used to get people looking at me really strangely when I was out training at home because they were looking for who was chasing me. Um, but it was it was a great experience. And I remember being so excited when I left that day that we had found our people. Um, and it was just, it was awesome. It was awesome. Well, you mentioned Michelle, of course, Michelle's been on the episode as Ainsley's preschool teacher, our ambassador there in, in Jacksonville, North Carolina. But you also mentioned another name, Kelly, who was the lead there for the satellite and eventually formed, uh, an independent ambassadorship that encompasses greater Wilmington. You did not know Kelly before that day, correct? I did not. I met her for the first time that day. I think she Facebook friended me that day too, but other, I, I like to accuse her of, stalk, of stalking me, cyber stalking me, because at the time we, she friended me, I didn't know who she was. But um, yeah, that, that but, was the start of that. But you do know who she is today because she's probably in your super small circle. Yes, she is. We we in are your, very, your very tribe. good friends now. Yes, very good in word. Very good word. In fact, that's where I had a that's where I had a chance to dance with Hunter in Dominican Republic at Kelly's uh, wedding. I'm connecting the dots here is to say like the whole idea of strangers yesterday, friends today, and family for life. Like you and Kelly's relationship is that in a nutshell. That's exactly right. Kelly and I are awesome friends now. Um, we've worked together with Ainsley's Angels as the Southeast North Carolina ambassadorship has evolved. But we are also friends. We do things together outside of that. You know, was in the wedding, was privileged enough to be invited to join that. Um, and yeah, we're just awesome friends. And for the longest time, Kelly was in charge of that ambassadorship. And of course, as time has gone on, uh, you have now taken on those reins. You are like the ambassador in the area, of course, with Kelly as your right hand. Um, that's pretty cool, too. Just the journey. I was her lead guardian. We switched roles. Um, but we've always both been very involved in the day-to-day. -day. We talk things out. Nobody makes command decisions. It's, it's a team effort, and it always has been. You said you were a race director back in the day whenever this gentleman and his son, you know, wanted to run win the Freedom Chair. Did you think that you would still be a race director 10 to 15 years later? <laughs> no, I did not. I had I had sworn off of that kind of like I've sworn off running marathons, and we saw where that got me. Um yeah, I was not expecting to turn around and, and be race directing again, but here we are, Frosty 5K. Yeah, tell us more about that race that you're directing now. Well, this will be the sixth year that we have gathered at the point at Barclay in Wilmington here, and we have grown, had a great time. We just really enjoy doing that. It's, it's the typically the season closer. We just enjoy having riders from all over the area come and join us and teaching Wilmington more about, I mean, because we participate in a, at least a race every month is what it averages out to be. But to put that many riders together, athlete riders together, and to roll on the streets of Wilmington really shows folks part of what we do and how important it is. And we get to introduce new folks to it every time because every year new people sign up and join us and get to be a part of it. I really enjoy the venue. It's somewhere where you wouldn't think that a race should start and finish in a movie theater. Well, not you don't go into the theater, right? But we, you know, we stage in the movie theater. You get the Yeti out there. Like there's a lot of cool things um, about that. And one of which is the timer, you know, so you go back to 10 years, you know, the race series has been going now and, the same individual, Mike Marion, who times Run With Your Heart, which starts the year, 
also times Frosty, which ends the race season. So I, it's good. The family together we shall tribe mantra there even extends into our timers. So shout out to to Mike on that one. Yeah, I didn't know where you were going with that, but I'm glad you brought Mike up. I mean, he's one of six people that has a presidential coin of inclusion excellence. Um, Mike is, uh, he was the guy that was the timer, little known fact, at the very first Ainsley's Angels in Eastern Carolina race aboard Camp Lejeune for the Marine Corps half. And there was a back and forth education process that had to happen for us to be included in that race. But once Mike saw what we did, he's like, I'm all in. I'm a believer. This is right. And so it's really awesome. Yeah, Mike. Might have to get old Mike on the show one time. Bet you he's got fun, some stories. Fun story. Mike Marion timed my very first Market Day 5K in Faison. Wow. Okay, drop the mic. Episode over. <laughs> Two minutes. <laughs> so, so what's happening now in uh, in your life? I mean, your your husband retired from the Air Force. Your 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 uh, Connor graduated from college. Um, you're there with Hunter. What's what's going on now? What's what's life like? Well, Nick is currently working on since he's retired from the Air Force has been working on building his own business but he's an independent Amsoil dealer which is a synthetic oil that he sells um he's out doing that this morning in fact um Hunter is in a day program here in Wilmington we moved two years ago because there just really wasn't much in facing um our business for her I mean there was plenty there's plenty of good people and, and things like that but for activities for her that was very, very limited. And it became to the point that our business was ready to shut down. The, the main farmer that we sold for had decided they weren't farming anymore. We didn't have any other large scale farmers. We had some small farmers, um, but there was nobody else around that I was really interested in trying to sell for. And I wasn't going to poach from people that I worked with. So um, we decided to shut the business down right before COVID hit. Um, and then, let's be honest, by mm-hmm. activities, you mean breweries. <laughs> well, Hunter is a run club member now. She likes their nice little stout every now and then. But um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've enjoyed being down here, too. There's lots of fun stuff for mom and daddy to do down here, too. But I mean, truly, the reason we moved was her. She's now doing therapeutic writing. She gets to go to the um, recreational therapy classes here with Access of Wilmington. She's in a great day program um, that does great things with them. Uh, it, there's lots and she has a membership at the Y. She's going to the Y. As a matter of fact, she's probably there right now doing a adapted cardio fit class. So we, she is the reason we moved. Now, we always said we'd move after they were here for 10 weeks and we were down here for that time period. We always said we'd move here eventually. So we did. But um, it was primarily because of her. And what's Connor up to? Connor is studying to pass the test for her RD certification, registered dietitian certification. So when she does that, she's going to figure out what area she wants to practice in. She's planning on staying here in Wilmington, so we're hoping that she does. And how do you fill your days? Um, well, I'm serving as Southeast Ambassador. I stay with Hunter in the afternoons. She is at the day program till 2.30, and she comes home, and then I'm with, with her in the afternoons and most of Tuesdays, um, taking her to appointments and stuff like that, and trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. So... There you go. Amen to that. Which is a plug to Darlene, too. Episode oh, yeah. Episode 14, Darlene oh, and Joe. I was going to say 13. Yeah, you and, you and Darlene had a chat about what are you going to do when you grow up, Joe? And Darlene said... Never done growing. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, what are you thinking, man, as we get up towards this conclusion phase of the chat? Just to never roll backwards with Hunter. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Not without will, warning her first. <laughs> she will uh, she will let you know that she does not like to go backwards. And uh, I was not warned of that um, at a starting line once. And uh, I was about to have a Dalton moment and be like, I, I don't know. We're done here. This, we haven't even started yet. But woo, girl. She's so an that anxious one. start line person. She's ready to roll. She doesn't want to wait. Roll forward. Yes. Just, if I'm ever at the start line and someone's like with Hunter and they're like, you got to move backwards. So I'm like, that's just everything's got to evolve around us now. Exactly. We're not we are not going backwards. 
move the timing strip because we're not moving. Yeah. Um, Susan, that has everything to do with just the anxious start line, not anything to do with equilibrium or moving. Well, backwards. it does have a little bit. If you're going to move her backwards anywhere, um, you have it's always good to warn her, warn her that it's about to happen because if you move, if you particularly if you're doing it abruptly and she's not expecting it, it, it upsets her. But but her behaviors at the start line are entirely let's go. I don't want to sit here and wait. Let's go. Once she's in that race chair, she is ready to go. As a shout out to Nick, my husband. He's our equipment manager for Southeast. He has been from the inception. Um, he's no longer, he ran for a couple of years, but he's not a runner at this point. He's a cyclist, but he's there at every race. He makes sure the equipment is there and he never complains. Any harebrained scheme I come up with, He's he's right there to support me, be it the fifth. I said I wasn't running MCM again. Sure, go ahead. I'll be here with Hunter while y'all go train. I mean, he's just he's that kind of guy. So uh, I like how you said, like, he's not a runner. He's just a cyclist now because like he's no, I didn't say just I didn't oh, say just. OK, I said he's he a cycles cyclist. like a million miles a week. I feel like I'm like, yes, he does. Gracious. Yeah, um, I forget. It might have been Frosty. He said, what do you think? And he said, just tell me what to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's just Nick. Tell he me will what do to anything do. you want him to do, but you, just tell him. All you gotta do is tell. I don't, him. I don't want to make recommendations. <laughs> just tell me. He's just tell me what to do. <laughs> Last fun fact: uh, UNC did win that game, fifty-two to twenty. There you go. So it was a pretty good whooping. Good stuff. Well, Susan, what do you what do you think as we're uh, wrapping this thing out? Is there anything specific that you might want to leave the listener with um, that some some profound thought or guidance or or maybe not? Well, just you never know when you're going where you're going to end up. So take advantage of any opportunity that comes to you, because if I had not accepted the opportunity to direct that first race, I wouldn't have started running. I wouldn't have been able to run with Hunter, and I wouldn't have ended up where I am today. Uh, you know what? I got, got enough. Time. He's in charge. <laughs> we're done. This was good. Yeah, we're done here. <laughs> uh, the structure of this building has reached its capacity. Find your people, and if they make you feel sexy, even better.